Episode 341 for November 2014. And if you're a fan of spider satellites, uh, I appreciate your support to ensure that more episodes come out. This was a marathon. This is nearly a two-hour podcast. and takes a lot of effort to put these together. So please show your support. Log on to our front page at SpidermanCrawlSpace.com. Look for the button on the right-hand side that says Support This Site. It will take you over to PayPal, and you can help ensure more episodes come out and also help us pay the bills for the band that comes in each and every month. All right, gang, on with this marathon show. Hey, Crawl Spacers, we're tackling spider satellites this episode, and this is an epic episode, George. We're doing something we've never done before. 19 reviews. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is almost as crazy as driving, you know, like across state lines to get beer and bring it back. In 24 hours. <laughs> Are you the bandit or the snowman? What do you want to be? <laughs> uh, I'm definitely the bandit. There you go. I've got Fred in the cab. We're put that hammer down, well, son, and get ahead. Feels like I, the more I like it. I'm <laughs> son of a truck driving mother. There you go. Let's go over the books that you've got and the books I've got. I've got Miles Morales. Spider-Man number five and six, all new Ultimates, <clears throat> and number eight and nine. I didn't mean to choke, but after reading them, I should have. Uh, Edge of the Spider-Verse, issue number one through five, and also Hobgoblin number one. I've got. So, what do you got, sir? I have uh, three uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, number nineteen through twenty-one, okay. Superior Foe sixteen, Spider-Man twenty ninety-nine number four and five, mm-hmm. New Warriors number nine, ten, and eleven. Cool. You go first, sir. What would you like to start? We're going to go uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy because they're going to go real fast. Because <laughs> we're going to plow through these hopefully in an hour and a half. Yeah, we're going to go through them pretty quick. Yeah. But uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number 19 and number 20 uh, yeah. are basically – well, I, I, what's the best way to say this? doesn't have anything to do with Spider-Man? <laughs> Not one goddamn thing. For all of you wondering, you know, because we always bottom line it. What did, what did Venom do? Bottom line it for me, Barryman. What did Venom do? Not not right, one goddamn right. thing. He wasn't in the books, nor was he ever mentioned. <laughs> At no time do do any of the Guardians of the Galaxy think, hey, we should be out finding that Flash guy. However, we do find out what happened to Nova. We do. But this we, is a- yeah, we do find out what happened to Star Lord and Nova, and why Star Lord is alive, and why Nova is quote unquote dead, which is actually a really good story. It is. They kept dying. <laughs> it, it, it was a really good story uh, told in the Cancerverse, and uh, where uh, you had uh, Nova, Thanos, and Star Lord, and Drax going up against Thanos for the Cosmic yeah. Cube in the Cancerverse, then finding out that they can't die while they're in the Cancerverse. Yeah. Then they wind up fighting this weird Cancerverse version of the Avengers. Yeah. And so then everybody fights, and they beat those guys, and then suddenly Thanos has the cube, and then Thanos is smacking around, um, smack or uh, Drax is th- uh, smacking Thanos around with like the cancer verse Thor hammer. It got crazy. It did. I mean, it, it was a good crazy. story. Yeah. Again, nothing to but do with not Venom. one goddamn thing to do with Venom. <laughs> I get how, and this is where I learned that uh, I guess 
Uh, Kitty Pride is dating uh, Star Lord now from across space via hologram. What do, think, what, what do you think of that? I don't like I don't like Kitty Pride dating anybody except Colossus. I'm just old really? school that way. I, I, you, I, Kitty you and Colossus wanna... were always one of my super couples. So this is like Luke and Laura not being together for me. You even want to bother with a grade? You want you know, grade nineteen, twenty, twenty-one? No, nineteen and twenty. Well, twenty-one is actually you know that's it's. I'm going to review that separately. But nineteen and twenty. Okay. I mean, they're both good stories, you know, and I, I give them both B pluses. Um, I like the the story. I like the Ed McGinnis art. Uh, Ed McGinnis art artwork. It's hard to right. say for some reason. Ed McGinnis art. Yep. And. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, really, really great Guardians of the Galaxy and Thanos stories, not one goddamn thing to do with Venom, right. who, who they had to bring. It was, it was imperative that we get Venom into the books, and he's been there since what? When did he get there? Number – About 15 or so? Or? <laughs> and they've done F all <laughs> with this character. I know. <laughs> he, went, he went and bought guns. That's all I remember. I'm like, dude, it, you know – yeah. You know you're going to be padding Planet of the Symbiotes for the trade anyway. You know that going into it. You're writing it for a trade. Yeah. You're writing it for the trade. You're not even writing it for this. You're writing it for the trade. Let's be honest. Let's just put all the cards on the table here. <laughs> all right? But yeah. could, couldn't you have found a way to, to get him there closer to when the story is going to kick off so that you don't have to fumble around? With what are you going to do with him? Oh, what can I have this guy do? Because it's clear that Bendis doesn't have one damn interest in Venom other than the fact that he comes from a planet of symbiotes. And that's the next storyline. Which is the next storyline. So uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number 21 kicks off right. uh, for, by Bendis and Valerio uh, Skitty, and uh, who I, I'm not familiar with his work. Me neither. But uh, yeah, this is where we start off with Peter Graham – or Peter Peter Graham. Peter Quill. Nope. No relation to Billy. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Quill uh, has a hologram date with Kitty Pride, And, of course, you know, again, this is where I first learned that they were an item. And that was, that was kind of jarring. I guess, I guess because Bendis writes X-Men now, too. It's all got to be inbred, you know, like he like he did when he well, was. Well, it seems it seems like he likes to couple Kitty with his whoever he's writing as the male lead. Because in Ultimate Spider-Man, Peter Parker dated Kitty Pride. I, he, it's like he can't compartmentalize. It's yeah. it's like how all his Avenger stuff crossed over into like so many other goddamn things, even Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's all got to be inbred with him. Like <laughs> if he's writing it, it has to every part of it has to touch the other part. Ugh, that didn't sound good at all. That does not sound Sorry. good at all. Set, set me up to the symbiote, though. What happens? All right, well, um, back on uh, um, back in nowhere, you know, which is the giant. Uh, base that is actually a celestial severed head, as seen in the Guardians movie, right? Which uh, we referred to as Gun World uh, several podcasts ago when Fla- when Drax and uh, Flash went gun shopping. Um, Gamora just happens to stroll in and see Flash in the store with the Venom symbiote, and he's he's wearing it like it's a black hood. Now this is after a Flash just killed a guy, a Kree guy, in a bar. After listening to uh, some sort of holographic, you know, oh, what's the best way to put this? You know, one of these the hippie Greenpeace, oh, Earth, why don't we just destroy the Earth? They're polluting their own ecosystem anyway, boo-hoo things, you know, because you got to work that crap in, you know. 
Um, can't do without that. Just the idea of Peter Parker's bully in space just it just sounds weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it is weird. Why? Yeah. This is why the the Flash I don't this Venom thing is not working for me anymore. Well, it it did when he was a war hero working for the government. Now he's out in space. It's just kind of odd. He he needs to be back in Peter's supporting cast. Yeah. He just he just there's and we've talked about this before. You know, like reading Amazing Spider-Man right now, it's so foreign. You know, it's like yes, there's Peter, and and occasionally we'll see one or two people that we used to know. But aside from that, it's all new people. You know, it's Silk, it's Anna Maria, who I like. You know, not Silk, but Anna Maria. You know, or it's, it's you know the Avengers and every other goddamn. It. You know what I mean? Where's Flash? Where's the Torch? Where's you know God? Why go to all the all the trouble to bring Harry Osborn back from the dead or not or whatever? And shave his head like Breaking Bad yeah, style. Yeah, and then just send him <laughs> away because you know. And it's weird. It's like it's like they want to have this, but then they realize they don't know what the hell to do with it, and then they're just like, oh well, I guess we'll just send this person away, like just like they've done with Mary Jane now. Yeah, you know, so it's like, well, what? What, what was the point? Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> so uh, now, keep in mind, before the the nineteen and twenty, last we saw in eighteen, at the end of eighteen, you know, when they had assembled the team back from being, you know, because they had gotten kidnapped by different, you know, factions of aliens. At the end of that, they were like, oh, what about that guy from Earth? What was his name? That other guy that just joined us. <laughs> oh, yeah, the guy with the blonde hair who has the symbiote. Well, yeah. Oh, Thompson. Yeah, Flash, I think. Flash? Fred. <laughs> what do we go? We should go look for him. So that was totally forgotten in 19 and 20. They didn't mention Flash <laughs> once. Suddenly the fierce moral imperative of finding Flash was gone. Yeah. And, and then by number 21 at the beginning, they're not even thinking about Flash. <laughs> Gamora just happens to find Flash when she walks into the uh, in, into the gun shop. <laughs> so, and immediately, Flash attacks her, or Venom attacks her. Right. They get into a good fight, and then almost as soon as the fight starts, Star-Lord shows up and presses a button on a little circular thing that jerks the symbiote off of Flash. And so Flash is sitting there, and he's got no legs, and he's like, oh, my God, I can't control it. I shouldn't be in space. Take me back to Earth, <laughs> you know, where I can control this thing. And, and he's like, how did you do that? And, and so, you know, and, and Star-Lord's like, oh, yeah, when Tony Stark was in space, you know, like a year and a half ago, uh, he gave us this thing uh, to, uh, you know, in case you decided to go crazy. It's kind of like Data's off button. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm like, really? So this was – the lead up to try to get us to where Bendis wants us to go for this trade paperback <laughs> is just horribly sloppy. And it's weird because you look at the at the last two issues of uh nineteen and twenty, which were good. Yeah. They were real good. But anytime he tries to show that he actually No, oh, no, really, I'm I'm serious about this Venom stuff. See look, no really, see look. It's not working. It feels artificial. Or am I wrong? I have not read this issue yet, so okay. I don't know. Well, you know, it's just it's just kind of jarring. I mean, I, it, it's crudely crafted. I it's a letdown. I mean, I I haven't liked a lot of what Bendis has done, but I give the man credit for being able to to take you from point A to point B and have it make sense. This is this is this almost feels rushed. Well, it's it's the first chapter of probably what six. Oh yeah, this will go six so, or eight. You know, depending yeah. on, how, on how big they need the trade to be. I'm sure, you know, at some point we'll have a nice long issue where they all sit around talking and eating Chinese food. 
<laughs> you know, but anyway, at the end of this issue, because right. they've got the symbiote contained in a, in a cylinder, when will people learn? Don't put it in glass. So they have it in a cylinder. <laughs> Rocket, Raccoon, and Groot are in there with it, and sure enough, Rocket, Raccoon, breaks. into a, uh, uh, a like a tool chest, not really looking at Groot. Groot's like picking up the symbiote and kind of shaking it around, looking at it like it's a firefly or something, and it breaks the glass, and then Rocket, Raccoon turns around, and it's a Groot Venom. Oh, no. So, I am. Yeah, at the end, he says, I am Venom. There you so go. That, See, I even, I even wrote it myself. That's I the end of this part. So... <laughs> I, you know, I mean, that that at the end was kind of cool. I mean, that's well, yeah. that's that's not a good thing, you know. Groot with a symbiote, but it's yeah. it, it's there's so many stumbling points, you know. Like the Guardians just happen to show up immediately, and and she's like, "What took you so long?" And he's like, "It, it was only a minute. You just, you know, you just called us. We were, you know." And the Drax is like, "I was in the bathroom," and I'm like, "How did you guys get there a minute ago? You were all on the ship." So it doesn't make you want to read the other five chapters. No, this is not. No. This this does no. not start well. So I what give it you? a C. A C, okay. All right. Let, let uh, I'll make. I'll let you pick. What What would you like to hear? The five issues of Edge of Spider Verse, <sighs> two issues of Horrible All New Ultimates, or two Miles Morales or a Hobgoblin? What would you like to hear? Do the. <laughs> Do the Miles Morales stuff. We'll save your hog going for last because everybody's going crazy for this thing. Yeah, it's really good. So, okay, Miles Morales number five and number six, uh, written by again Mr. Bendis, uh, art by David Marquez, who is, does beautiful artwork. Uh, the plot of issue number five: Miles is shot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Roll credits. Well, he, he, uh, he got shot. Remember, he went after he took on the uh, the Green Goblin in the previous. I don't remember. Issue. I don't read it, Brad. I know you don't. Anyway, for the listeners, <laughs> uh, Peter, the Peter Parker came back. He was allegedly dead. Uh, he and Miles took on the Green Goblin, and, and at the end, the cops were like, put your hands up, and Spider-Man and Miles are um, have their hands up, and they try to escape, but Miles is shot. He escapes the police, and Maria Hill pulls up in a car and says, get in if you want to live, and... Um, so they're they're driving back, and Maria Hill wants to know all the details of uh, him and Peter Parker, etc. Then you cut to the spider imposters. These thieves I don't care anything about. The only downside of this book, in my opinion, have their masks off, and they look similar to Peter Parker. And the spider thieves break into the superpower evidence room, and that's all you see of them in this issue. Then... You cut to J. Jonah Jameson. He's on the he's uh, in his apartment, and behind him is a giant ball of fire, and it busts through his uh, window. And it's Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn wants to do an interview with J. 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 And Norman says he created the Oz formula, and it could have cured the world, but Shield, Hydra, Nick Fury, and Roxxon ruined it for him, and he wants to make them all burn. And just so happens, J. 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 When he's walking around his apartment, he p- is packing heat. So he points and shoots Norman Osborn straight in the head. No. <laughs> Norman is dead and the floor. Cut to Miles, then visits Mary Jane. Apartment wants to talk about how she thinks Peter Parker's alive, but just so happens Peter Parker's in the house with Mary Jane. Says, come on in, let's talk. Uh, pro, great dialogue. I love the scenes with Maria and Miles. 
uh, in the car, take off your mask. No, I'm not taking off my mask. Take off your mask. Uh, then she throws him a first aid kit and says, fix your own wound. I'm not your mother. I thought that was real, just good dialogue between Miles and Maria Hill. Uh, love the entrance of Norman Osborne into the Jameson house. Uh, very creative. Con, I still don't care about the Spider Thieves after five plus issues. Uh, A minus for that one. Miles Morales, number six, written by Brian Bendis and David Marquez, again on art and writing. Plot, Jameson. Um, opens with the scene of Jameson holding a gun and Norman Osborne's neck twisted uh, with blood coming out. He evidently fell on the floor and twisted his head a little bit. Jameson, what does he do after he's killed Norman Osborne? He gets on the phone. He doesn't call the police. He calls Ben Urich. He says, Ben, I just killed Osborne. And Ben is like, you need to call the cops. Why'd you call me first? <laughs> I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be in on this. Uh, and in the background, you see a black shadow uh, creep up off the floor, and more uh, word balloons by Jameson. Then the black shadow gets closer and closer. More word then, balloons by Jameson. Jameson word balloons. That really, that talking. really, that really explains it, Brad. Well, no, I meant uh, he's explaining that he killed Norman and he's uh, doesn't know what to do and he was confessing and doing all that That's stuff. That's like saying anyway. and then Jonah says some stuff and then this happens. <laughs> exactly, but in the background panels, it's nicely done. I like the I like the scene, but uh, you see uh, Norman Osborn get up and he's walking closer and closer to Jameson, and uh, Jameson spins around and Norman says, "I'm immortal. You can't kill me." So then. Norman grabs Jameson by the head and blasts his head, so Jameson dies, I think. You don't see the body, but you assume Jameson is dead now. Mm-hmm. Cut to Peter Parker. Uh, he talks about uh, he's doing his what he remembers to Mary Jane and Miles and, and Maria Hill. He says he remembers everything about his former life, and he doesn't think he's a clone because he remembers everything from his previous life, and he also remembers waking up after death in a lab, and the lab is gone, the computers are wiped, and he's naked, so he's running around town naked, and he goes and visits Mary Jane, uh, etc. Then he, Mary Jane and him go and look at Peter's grave, they dig up the grave, and there's no body, the body's gone. So cut back to Peter telling the story, and Aunt May and Gwen show up, and they embrace, it's a nice little scene, and of course... Norman Osborn, hot off the heels of killing J. Jonah Jameson, shows up at Mary Jane's place, and uh, Peter's ready to fight. And Miles says, nope, this isn't your fight, it's mine. And Miles remembers that his sting uh, really hurts Osborn, so he's like, I'm going to take him on. So uh, the fight uh, ensues, and Norman pretty much gets whooped up on that. And uh, before he's... uh, taken into custody, Norman says, you don't want to end me. I, I want to tell you who your father really is. And that ends the book where he's talking to Miles. Uh, the pro, great art, emotional issue with Mary Jane and Aunt May seeing Peter again after he was allegedly dead. Uh, hopefully it's not a clone. I don't know. It probably is. Uh, I enjoyed the scene where Miles stepped up, was heroic, and took on Norman Osborn. Uh, the book is called Miles Morales Spider-Man, so that's something you ex- would expect for him to do. Con, nudity. Peter is nude. Norman Osborn's nude. Everybody's nude in this book, except the ones we'd like to see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there really isn't anything. I didn't find anything really wrong with this book. Uh, I'm going to give this one an A also. Two A's out of me. Hmm. What do you What do you got now, George? I did three. You did three. You want me to do a third yeah. one? Yeah. 
Uh, Hobgoblin, you want Hobgoblin? No, we got to save that one for last. Uh, Is everything else you have, like, in chunks, like in blocks? I got two more Ultimate uh, books, and then I've got five issues of Spider-Verse. You want me to do Ultimates? Yeah, do the Ultimates. Oh, God, all right. (laughs) All new Ultimates, number eight, written by Michael Fiffy, art by Giannis Milo Giannamis. (laughs) I'm going to spell it out. Milo, M-I-L-O-N-O-G-I-A-N-N-I-S. Milo... No, Giannis. Uh huh. Okay. That's the art. Hopefully, yeah, not a fan. Uh, the plot of number eight the team meets up in Jessica Drew's apartment, which is the clone of Peter Parker. Uh, Cloak and Dagger are fighting like an old married couple, and Spider Man says he thinks J. Jonah Jameson will fund this team. And Cloak is, uh, I mean, Dagger is ticked that uh, she could have lived in a condo in a nice little uh, headquarters instead of living in a busted-up church without running water. So Cloak and Dagger are fighting like they're on the Maury Powitz show. Bombshell. Cut the bombshell. She's still mourning Poey, her boyfriend, who has been mourned for more issues than he originally appeared in. Uh, <laughs> I don't care about Poey. I hope he, I'm glad he's dead. The team then fights one of the worst Spider-Man fights I remember in recent time in Amazing Spider-Man. Remember the Femme Fatales? I think it was an Eric Larson issue where they fought. It's made up of a bunch of ticked-off women. Do you remember the Femme Fatales at all, George? Yeah. Like 342. I don't even remember their origin. They're just really, they're souped-up, muscular women that are just mad. I'm sure they have very valid social reasons for being mad, though. They do? I'm sure they do. But of all the ultimate versions and all the ultimate villains I'd like to see, the Femme Fatales are probably dead-ass dead last. But they appear in this issue. And then they fight. And then the ultimate Fantastic Four shows up, which consists of Machine Man, Sue Storm, the Falcon, and Iron Man in a pink suit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So let's get to name from you. Oh, hell to the no. Hold on. <laughs> Sloak and Dagger. They're not done with their drama. They break up at the end of the issue. Dagger says, I thought sleeping with you would have made us closer, but it drew us apart. Then they, then they part ways. That's the end of the book. The prose, there's absolutely nothing I enjoyed about this book. It was tiresome, hard to read. Was that the final issue? <sighs> no, no. We're going up to issue 12, okay. I think. Of this. Yeah. Cons. This has some of the worst art I've ever seen in a comic book. The artist drew Miles purple, and he forgot to draw the webbings on the suit. It looked like the 1960s Spider-Man. Wait, wait, wait. The artist drew Miles purple? No, I'm sorry. The the costume, the Spider-Man costume. So the colorist screwed up. The the colorist didn't have much to work with because the pencils are horrible. The the chest on him, the the webs were off. It looked like the 1960s Spider-Man suit, you know, where they just drew a big spider and Uh said, screw it. Yeah, it was so bad. I even put this on our Crawl Space Facebook page. When I was reading it, I'm like, this is some of the worst art I've ever seen in my life. I have to take a picture of it and put it up. And people were like, what the hell? (laughs) D minus out of me. Wow. D minus. The only reason it's not an F is because there's not 150 characters running around this book like the previous issues. Mm. I actually understood who we were talking about. Okay. All New Ultimates, number nine, written by Mr. Fiffy and Mr. Who? Fifey, F-I-F-F-E? How would you say it? Fifey? Fifey? All right. Giannis Milo no Giannis on art. Uh, The plot, Scourge is being transported back to the vault 
But a group called the Watchdogs want to break him out to help continue to take out crime. And this is uh, going to be offensive to some of our listeners, but I'm going to do a direct quote of what Black Widow describes the Watchdogs as. The Watchdogs are, quote, a right-wing oh, of course. moral brigade that eventually shifted to an outright white supremacist terrorist outfit. Of course. <laughs> of course. Oh, Marvel never change. Because, you know, if, you're, if you tend to vote Republican or you're in the right ring, it's not that hard to shift to be an outright right, white supremacist terrorist outfit. Anyway. According to Marvel. Uh, According to Mark, according to all the Ultimates number nine, it's just a couple, you know. Really, according to uh, according to. <laughs> well, no, I can, yeah, according to everybody, but probably Chuck Dixon. Uh, all right, so after we get the Watchdogs that are trying to bust uh, uh, Scourge out of mid transport, so they can he can also become a uh, right wing moral brigade that eventually shifted to an outright white white supremacist terrorist outfit. Cloak shows up. After uh, not talking to Dagger for a few weeks after the breakup, and Dagger says, starts nagging him, "Why? Where have you been? Why haven't you called? Where are you? I haven't seen you in forever." Dagger is a little bit darker than he usually is. He's a little bit more moody and dark, etc. So a fight breaks out in front of the team, and uh, this and Scourge uh, is escapes his bus that he was tra- being transported to the vault. And he was like, I don't want to join you crazy wackos. So he shoots the watchdogs in the face. <laughs> As you do. It, exactly. He was like, I'm, you guys are crazy. I don't want to join you guys. And so he escapes. And in the ensuing fight, Dagger is shot and injured. And Cloak comes around and, and uh, vows to heal her uh, by taking her to the hospital. He was like, I'm going to explain our whole origin. I'll explain Roxxon and all about the Ultimates. I don't care. I just want her alive. She's my true love, etc. So uh, Tandy is like, oh, thank you, Cloak, etc. Uh, and uh, Black Widow is like, I know, I know a place. Go to this hospital. They'll fix you, fix you up. <laughs> so... I know a hospital that works on soups, you know. Uh, so the two uh, transport via cloak, and they arrive in front of a hospital. And on the last page, the two of them both get shot in the back of the head, and they die. <laughs> both cloak and dagger? Blo- both cloak and dagger are shot in the back of the head and die. After getting to the hospital. After getting to the hospital, after a two-issue fight, they're dead. Pros. There were not so many confusing characters. Uh, I'm very happy that the horrible Cloak and Dagger are dead. <laughs> I say this in my notes. Uh, Scourge is kind of cool. He's kind of the Punisher of the uh, the Ultimate Universe. I don't know why, because we've already got a Punisher there. I don't think he's dead. Uh, I also liked how death came out of nowhere for Cloak and Dagger. It would actually surprise me. Cons. Horrible, horrible art. Which is a smidge better than last mm. issue, but... Uh, that didn't take much to improve. Also, uh, I didn't care for the insulting of 50% of the voting population. That, that little well, right-wing... Marvel, Marvel can't help <clears throat> Brad. They've done this before. You know, well, writer Michael Fiffy, I thought, was kind of insulting. Well, yeah, but Brad, it, it's anyone there. I mean, no. think about it. It's just, it's, you know, it's writers and artists, and they're all, they're all 100% liberal. They all, you know, they, they've always been this way, even back into the 60s. You know, except for except for Steve Ditko. I mean, it is what it is. It's like seeing a Hollywood movie. D D minus out of me on that book. You know, it's it's funny thing. My friend uh, Dan, yeah, because we always, you know, he's a he's a conservative lawyer. Lives up. He's a friend of mine from high school. He lives up in Denton, but he always, 
you know, we always talk about like, you know, like when some celebrity will just twist off with some extreme crazy stuff, uh-huh. you know, about hating people. Um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, even me, I'm like, well, I, it, it makes me not like John Cusack. John Cusack twists off like that all the time. And I used to really yeah, like it's John. Very, very left. I used to really, really like him. But he got to a point where I was like, dude, you're such an asshat. I can't listen to you anymore, and I can't, I can't separate that now from your work, mm-hmm. right? And I told my yeah. friend Dennis, like, I, I can't go see this guy at the movie anymore. And Dan was like, I can because for me, these guys are like <laughs> – the, the metaphor he used are like organ grinder monkeys. <laughs> and he's like, just perform for me, and he's like, dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> so he said, so anytime I see like one of these celebrities twist off, I always just think, dance, monkey, dance. But I mean, Marvel is always – think back to – remember a few years ago when they got in trouble for the Tea Party thing in Captain America? Mm, yeah, I remember you that. Know, but they just cannot help themselves. If you look at Dan Slott's uh, Twitter post, that's all it is. Half of it is him talking about Spider-Man. <clears throat> the other – well, a third of it is him talking about Spider-Man. The other third of it is him fighting with fans. And the other third is him, uh, you know, hating Fox News. Yeah, they they can't help themselves. Right. It's a shame that politics have to enter into a story like they don't have this. to I mean, though. That's the thing. They, I, that's why I say it's a shame. They don't there, have there was, to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, because it, it puts a portion of, and I, it puts a portion of the audience off. You know? They don't care about that though. I guess. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I I think they're gonna, they they think that well, you know, if you're reading comics, you're going to read comics. Period. So yeah. you're just a captive audience. So you know, I'm going to work in my social. Edu- there there was a scene, and I'm not going to be. I don't want to be too powerful on this this show, but uh, there was a scene in in uh, Spider-Man and a Wolverine fist bumping over an Obama. Thing. Oh yeah. And I just like that was unnecessary. Unnecessary. It really but was. I, it's another thing where they. They can't help themselves. I guess. They just – it's just it's, – I don't know. It's like a for great justice kind of a thing, I guess. I don't know. It's okay. and for me, I, I think it's funny. I look at yeah. it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would rather it not be there. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? You, you guys are so predictable. Don't don't change. Yeah. That's like, like remember I was talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, and you had that one hologram guy going off about Earth and the ecosystem, and I was like, oh, for F's sake, like aliens on the other side of the galaxy <laughs> are going to give a crap about what Earth does or does. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. What's what's next books you're tackling, sir? I don't know. What do you, what do you want? You want uh, good stuff okay. or bad stuff? Uh, I, uh, please cleanse my palate of all new olds, please, with something nice. With something nice. All right. Well, we'll um, if, if you want something nice, then we will go to – oh – why don't we go to uh, Spider-Man 2099? Uh, oh, 20-90-99? I love that book. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so we'll pick up um, Spider-Man 2099 number four. And I actually already summarized this on the uh, on the front page um, on a review, oh, a month ago. <laughs> so I'm just going to basically cover that. So Scorpion, believing that uh, – um, or believing Miguel, you know, believing 2099 to be the Spidey that he's always known and fought against, uh, waste no time in trying to straight up murder our, our hero after, you know, after he showed up during that arms deal in uh, issue number three in Transball. Remember, Brad, we had that whole conversation. Yes. Uh, even after Miguel tells him that they've uh, they've been they've both been sent by Alchemex and are basically working on the same side, same team, Brad, same team. 
<laughs> exactly. When Scorpion gets the upper hand uh, in the fight, the Spider Slayer starts to swarm in and quickly prove a threat to everyone in the area, from Spidey 2099 to the civilian populace. With quick thinking, Miguel is able to use his wrist interface and Lila's capabilities to holographically change Scorpion's appearance so that he resembles the Peter Parker Spider-Man, causing the robots to turn on Scorpion. It was a great – it was like a full panel shot or something of Spider-Man. I thought that was cool. This is how Spider-Man fights – this, this is how well thought out Spider-Man fights go down. When people <laughs> use, you know, when, when writers realize the full capabilities of what the of what the heroes can do, and yeah. utilize that to every maximum advantage they can. This is brilliant. Yeah, it was. Good. I loved it. I mean, I really did. I wanted I wanted to kiss Peter David in the face. I was so happy. Wait hey, now. <laughs> Elsewhere, the rebel leader uh, Musaret, that uh, gal who kidnapped uh, Tiberius in issue three. Uh, is crushed to death while attempting to save Tiberius when their headquarters begins to collapse during the Spider-Man-Scorpion battle. Uh, her death seems to spark something in Tiberius, and he begins to display something resembling uh, something resembling a sense of right and wrong. We'll, we'll see how long that sticks. Right. Uh, Miguel manages to save a kid while the Spider-Slayers overwhelm the Scorpion. Uh, before the robots can kill him, Tiberius shows up and shouts out a phrase to instantly deactivate them. He was let... There were no. He was laughter on his lips, and a he had laughter on his lips in a sense that the world was mad. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. That quote. Mm-hmm. Now, after the battle is over, uh, Ty and uh, or Tiberius and Miguel meet up. Uh, meet up with the trans uh, Sabal warlord who ordered the Spider Slayers in the first place. And during the meeting, Miguel is shocked when Tiberius cancels the warlord's order for the death machines and announces that his money will be refunded. Brad. The two then, he kept he kept the receipt. Yeah, the two uh, then get into a waiting limo and head to the airport along with a very bruised and unarmored, just completely normal Matt Gargan who wonders if he hasn't met Miguel before. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the analysis on this issue uh, I had written uh, right off the bat. This issue jumps headlong into the fray and keeps us there. If you like your Spider Comics packed with action, then you know this one was is definitely a winner. The fight between Miguel and uh, the Scorpion is crazy fun, with both of them giving as good as they get. Scorpion does get some good hits in, and then fight. Uh, well, at least until you know Miguel turns the tables on him with the uh, with the Spider Slayers. Um, and again, these are the moments that Spider fans long for. You know, when ability and intelligence come into play in order to bring down a powerful opponent. You know, during a risky situation. Right. And Will Sliney really uh, seemed like he was having fun drawing that fight. It really came through in the artwork. Yep. Uh, we also get a step forward in the characterization of Tiberius Stone, who suddenly starts, you know, showing that he may be human after all, at least on some level, you know. And it's not a, a, an overnight miracle, and and his transition from being a complete jackass is, you know, is just now starting. So, you know, it's baby steps right now. You know, Peter David. Peter David is a writer who always likes to keep you guessing anyway, and always throws surprises yep. at you. Just when you think something is something, it's it's another thing. Yeah. So, you know, given that, expect for Tiberius to ramp up some selfishness or douchebaggery again for too long. Mm-hmm. But with the win over the Scorpion and a small army of Spider Slayers uh, and with Alchemex canceling the sale, at the end of the day, it's a win for Miguel. And it's a win for us, too, Brad, because this book is flat out fantastic. It is. Now, that, that quote that I mentioned earlier that Tiberius uses to uh, deactivate the Spider Slayers is actually from... Uh, a Raphael Sabatini novel called Scaramouche. Are you familiar with Raphael Sabatini's work, Brad? I am not. I am not. Did you ever see the Errol Flynn movie Captain Blood? 
New. Based on a novel by Raphael Sabatini. In fact, no. much of what we think of pirates today, the romanticism that we have with pirates is based on two things. Treasure Island and Raphael Sabatini's Captain Blood. So I actually thought it was it was pretty cool. It, it's neat whenever you see a reference to something that you've read and you know that many not a lot of other people have. Right. And that's why I got a, I got a big kick out of that. Anyway, A plus, nice. A plus on this one. Um, I, and again, for me, this is the better Spider-Man book out there. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's go next to Spider-Man 2099, number five. And unfortunately, Brad. Right. What was a good story, you know, where, where Peter David <clears throat> was taking us to interesting places, gets derailed. <laughs> by a crossover. By a crossover. <laughs> Peter David is cursed. He is. When it comes to Especially Spider-Man. when it comes to Moreland. Huh? Especially when it comes to Moreland. When it comes to Moreland and when it comes to, to big event crossovers, interrupting something good. <clears throat> so here, Spider-Verse uh, edges itself, edge, edges, forces itself in with the subtlety of a claw hammer uh into what was otherwise a, a really interesting you know series of uh, of books for uh, Miguel O'Hara and unfortunately it's going to be lasting through issue 8 with this book so it's going to last us for quite a while some great looking covers though did you see that picture of uh, Peter David's Hulk Mastro grabbing Miguel by the head in the previews that looks good yeah that looks good that issue yeah. may actually be good since of course Peter David was the one who gave us the maestro. Yeah, no doubt. So that one I'm actually looking forward to. Me too. I think the rest of it I'm not really all that, <laughs> all that excited about. Anyway, so after four issues, the obligatory Spider-Verse intrusion comes into Spider-Man 2099. Uh, starts off uh, somewhere out in the multiverse, Earth 9812 from Avengers Forever to be exact. By the way, I was surprised. We can talk a little bit about this. When I opened the cover... And I saw who was drawing it. Yes, Rick Leonardi draws. Well, we're going to touch on that in a minute. Okay. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Uh, and I even quoted uh, in my review, I quoted the text. My text? Yes, that we, that we had. <laughs> Between me and you, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so somewhere out in the multiverse, uh, Earth 9812, member from Avengers Forever, uh, Moreland, or, or Moreland, I can't even say his name right, takes out yet another Spider-Man while knocking out heavies like Wolverine, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, the Guinness Vell, Captain Marvel, and yeah. which Peter David worked with quite a bit back on yeah. Captain Marvel, another excellent Peter David book. Uh, and Wolverine aside, like uh, like so much cannon fodder. But this time, of course, it's an alternate version of Miguel O'Hara, not Peter Parker. After drawing or – after – no, wait a minute. What did I – oh, no, yeah, not Peter Parker. So he's going after Miguel's now too. It's not just Peter's he's going after. Multiple twenty nine nine. Right, and we know that yeah. it's spider. Period. If you have a spider on you, you're doomed. Right. Because um, you know, and of course, after this issue came out, of course, he went after uh, Spider Girl. Mm-hmm. He, or no, he didn't. It was his brother, wasn't it? I don't. I've lost I track of how many um, Morelands there are, and one, one has a uh, scuba diving hat on. The other one, I just don't know who. Yeah, they it's are. hard to keep track of now. Yeah. Uh, any, we need a Moreland Secret Files and, or Secret Origins and <laughs> DC does. I guess. So anyway, um, after draining uh, the alternate universe, Miguel O'Hara dry, uh, Moreland notices that yet another Miguel O'Hara variant is watching him from across time and space via a portal. 
which intrigues him. So he departs to investigate, leaving Cap and Wolverine to stumble along and talk about how hard they just got their asses kicked and how much they hope Moreland won't come back. Out of character for our universe, possibly fine with this one, I guess. I guess, and I even mentioned this a little later in the review. I come back to that during the analysis part. Anyway, um, back in Marvel's Earth 616... And I, I and you know I, I like mentioning the names just because I know how much Tom Brevert hates it. <laughs> so we we have Alan Moore to thank you for right? six one six right because of Captain Britain. So back in uh, Earth six one six, Miguel O'Hara immediately feels the adverse effects of uh, one of his future variants being massacred across the multiverse, and he gets a huge psychic feedback that uh, as he's trying to apprehend of uh, a group of robbers and a heli- who are escaping in a helicopter. But Miguel uh, still manages to make short work of them while also noting that it felt like he had just died. And so he (laughs) pauses to ponder the imponderables on that, Brad. There you go. Meanwhile, over in Earth 6375. Oh, yeah, that one. From the the Exiles (laughs) comics. Oh, I remember that. A bearded Miguel O'Hara who witnessed Moreland via the portal. He He was the one that saw Moreland and who Moreland saw, saw him, saw seeing him. I don't know. Uh, tells his apparent girlfriend, Mary Jane, which had me scratching my head. I, I didn't read Exile, so I don't know why Miguel O'Hara. It was actually pretty good when 299 was in it. Uh, so I was telling is telling Mary Jane, who he's with, that Moreland is hoping, or not hoping, hopping around the multiverse, killing Spider-Man variants. And I like calling them variants. I just do. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> he explains that he'll hurt, that he'll head to Earth. I'm reading like you right now. Hey! <laughs> he explains to her that he'll head to Earth 616 since, as the one place where Moreland died in the first place, it might be safer. Uh, Mary Jane shows obvious concern and tells Miguel that she's going with him whether he likes it or not, which is a very Mary Jane thing to do. Now, I don't remember my Exiles history, and maybe someone who's listening that can fill me in. I think that Mary Jane from Exiles was a lesbian. Well, she's, she's with Miguel here. Okay. So I guess, maybe, maybe she maybe got she, over maybe, it. I don't know. Maybe she's a different Mary Jane than I'm thinking <laughs> of. But I remember there was a lesbian Mary Jane. <clears throat> maybe she dated Gwen Stacy. I, I don't remember. Oh, my God. It's been a long time since I read Exiles. All right. So back at Alchemex in uh, Earth 616, uh, Miguel is questioning Tiberius about the company's involvement with the Scorpion. Uh, when Stone tells Miguel that they arranged to have Scorpion released from prison so he could work with them, Miguel hits the roof. He says they can't do business that way, and in a moment of frustration, he exclaims that they should be building super prisons. Where have we heard this before? Oh, no, not Civil War again. This catches Liz's ear. Oh, and also our regular Amazing Spider book. This catches Liz's ear. Uh, She likes the idea, especially since uh, Parker Industries recently looked into the same thing. Mm -hmm. But while they talk it over, Moreland kills the Miguel of Earth 96099, which is the alternate (laughs) reality from the Time Storm story. Along with his father. Uh, oh, yeah. Miguel experiences another psychic feedback attack in front of Liz. Did you ever read that Time Storm 2099? No. That was bad, man. They tried to bring 2099 back, and that was just bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. No, I didn't read it. I passed on it. <laughs> so did much, many people, but go ahead. So uh, Miguel excuses himself and consults with Lila on what might be causing him to have all these psychic feedbacks. Uh, psychic attacks these episodes and she tells him that aside from stress and a liver ailing from too much drinking which I thought was interesting <laughs> uh, that she can't find a cause for it 
Uh, Miguel makes his way back to the roof and shoots up a Spidey 2099, ready to start looking for answers. But then a portal opens. Before mm-hmm. Earth 6375's Miguel can step through, he is murdered by Moreland right in front of Miguel's <laughs> eyes. Moreland throws the 6375 Miguel through the portal and down at Mickey's feet. When Pinky recognizes who Moreland is, as well as the fact that he is supposed to be dead, he challenges Moreland instantly. Yeah. This makes Moreland hesitate, and the portal from 6375 closes. So Moreland does not choose to confront Spider-Man 2099 at that time. And our story ends with Miguel realizing that he needs to find Peter Parker. So yeah. even you know even fantastic titles must inevitably suffer the consequences of bloated event crossovers. <laughs> and and my current favorite title here, Spider-Man 2099, was no exception. Unfortunately, we'll be dealing with Spider-Verse, like I said earlier, for at least uh, to the eighth issue. Um, yeah. I admit to being unfamiliar with most of the variant multiverses presented here, with the exception of the Avengers Forever Earth. <clears throat> and to be honest, seeing Moreland show up and overwhelm Captain America and Wolverine so badly, to the point of being glad that Spidey's murderer escaped justice and wouldn't show up again, irked me really bad. Yeah, uh, I'm not used to Cap and Logan being portrayed with so much give up in them, and that was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best points in this book come with the continuation of Miguel's ongoing story. Uh, the discussions with Tiberius and Liz uh, help us navigate through the Spider-Verse segments and help move Miguel's story through a minefield of event interruption. <laughs> uh, Parker Industries wanting to build a supervillain uh, prison had me shaking my head in disbelief, but Alchemex wanting to do it actually made sense. And it also makes me wonder if we'll eventually see some conflict between Liz and her brother, Molten Man, hmm. down the line because of it. Yeah, but he's not doing much. But Peter, David, you always have to look at what at what might happen with the what. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Wait a minute, what, what was that quote again? At what might happen with the what. Okay. <laughs> Turn down for what? What'd you say? No. Not I'll just this microphone and slap you. Turn down for what? <laughs> what if I inserted the audio of Turn Down for What right here? Not exactly. Alright. <laughs> so and that it did make me think like if if she goes into the business of building prisons, will she eventually come into conflict with her brother or the, her her uh, her her stepbrother, or is it her half brother? Perfect. Uh, half, I think. Half brother. I could, I could be who, wrong. Who uh, is, uh, is the, of course, the molten man? Um, anyway, oh, and yes, yes, we need to get back to the art. Rick Leonardi steps in here, who of course uh, created Spider-Man tw- or co-created Spider-Man twenty nine and nine along with Peter David back in the nineties. Uh, and drew what the first twenty something issues, twenty four, the first two years worth, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep. Fantastic run on that book. Just really good stuff. And you and I have always liked Rick Leonardi. Very quirky stuff. I remember seeing his stuff um, in X-Men. Uh, what else did he draw? He he had a great uh, Spider-Man poster back in the day that does a thing that you always say you like, which to convey how fast Spider-Man is, you see multiple images yes. of Spider-Man yeah. on the screen. He had a great poster back in the 80s that I always loved. So Rick, I could never find it. So Rick Leonardi being back is the good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bad news is who they had inking him. Oh, it, it, it was rough. The ink work was awful. Yeah. I mean, just terrible for Rick Leonardi's work. 
Um, and it really just changed the way Rick Leonardi's stuff looks, period. I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I had talked about it mm-hmm. and via text, and we both agree, you know, agreed that that was some of the worst ink work. And, and, and I think I had told you the text I had sent you was like it's almost a crime. It is, and some some artists just don't work well with the, uh, other inkers. You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's like peanut butter and chocolate. You'd get a good combination every now and then, but peanut butter and what would be a bad combination with peanut butter? I'm going to have to think. Nutella, <laughs> peanut butter and Nutella. Actually, that wouldn't be that bad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, peanut peanut butter and, and uh, sardines. Those two don't go good together. No. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so the inking was unfor- very unfortunate, and that's an understatement yep. here. But also, on the front cover, and, th- and I hadn't noticed this until you pointed it out, Yeah, they don't even credit Rick Leonardi on the front cover. They don't. So, they have the uh, the previous artist. Yeah, Will Sliney's name goes on the front of this, and he didn't even draw the issue. So, a bit of a shaft, I thought, for, for Rick Leonardi. And, and you would think uh, maybe it was, would sell a couple extra issues. You're like seeing a Leonardi on the cover – his name, people were like, oh, I read that in the 90s. I've been meaning to pick this book up. Yeah. But, no, no. got the ship. It was just a printing error, probably. Well, I blame the editor. It's not a printing error. It's the, the printer didn't get it wrong. These things are taken by the company, well, yeah. the plates, and, and that's what the printer works with. So yeah. this was an editor's. This this was editorial. Editor, editor's mistake. What do you give the grade for this one? Uh, this one got a B- minus for me. Okay. Lowest grade you've given a 29.9 book of its. Yeah, what? and unfortunately... Yeah. It's brought down because of the Spider-Verse event. Now, the good news is that it's Peter David, so even though it's going to feel wonky because we're having to deal with, with another bloated crossover, it's another. It's still written by Peter David. Yeah. So it's still good. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Time for me to tackle five issues in a row. Are you ready for this? Oh, boy. Uh, the Edge of the Spider-Verse miniseries, it was five issues. Each issue pretty much read like the old What If book. Like, what if we did a version where Spider-Man was in the 1930s? What if we did a Gwen, Spider-Gwen? What if we turned him into a robot? So let's tackle issue one, where we uh, it was written by David Hine and art by Richard Eisenhoff, who also was the creative team on the uh, Spider-Man Noir miniseries. I read the first one. have not read the second one, but I did enjoy the character that I read. I also enjoyed him in the Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions video game, which was a lot of fun. Highly recommend that game. Issue one of Edge of the Spider-Verse miniseries starts off with uh, Spider-Man Noir. Hasn't been seen in three months after he fought the uh, the Goblin and his gang, and Wilson Fisk is wanting to be the new crime boss. We're talking 1939. And so he works with Mysterio to take out the only obstacle preventing him from ascending to the throne, and that's Spider-Man Noir. So Mysterio posts an ad on Craigslist and asks for help. No, wait a minute. This is 1939. He takes out a personal ad in the newspaper, and he challenges Spider-Man to come to one of his shows. And Mysterio is like the David Copperfield of the 1939 uh, universe. So uh, eventually Spider-Man Noir comes to the show, uh, and uh, Mysterio tries to drain his blood to please some spider god that's been talking to Mysterio. Anyway, that doesn't work out so well. And uh, through a portal, one of Moreland's brothers with the fish helmet shows up on stage in front of all the audience. And also out of the uh, the portal pops out Spock, superior Spider-Man, shows up. He grabs Spider-Man Noir 
and he gets him out of the danger, and he goes back into the the portal, and uh, Fish Helmet Moreland is on stage, and he looks around, and the audience starts busting up with applause. Uh, great, great art. Uh, the noir universe is rich. It it, uh, it takes the Spider Verse uh, characters and gives them a little bit of depth. Uh, I, I mean, just for a short miniseries, I enjoyed the previous one. This one condenses it a lot, but uh, it was well written. I enjoyed it. Uh, cons, uh, you really you do need to read a little bit of the back issues of Noir to understand what's going on. That took me out of a little bit because it's been several years since I read Noir, so that really wasn't that familiar with what happened to Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin, etc. So a B out of me on issue one. Mm-hmm. All right. Issue number two, which set the world on fire, where we introduced we were introduced to Spider-Gwen. This one... Uh, is written by Jason Latour, art by Robbie Rodriguez. Uh, evidently in this what-if world, uh, Gwen Stacy was bitten by the spider instead of Peter. So she goes on to television, on television just like Peter did. And she, also at her school, she defends Peter Parker from the bullies. And uh, she's also the drummer of a band called the Mary Janes, where Mary Jane is the lead singer and Gwen Stacy... I think it's cute. I, I just think it's nice. I, I liked it originally when I first saw it. It was Jim and the Holograms, <laughs> but it came on before G.I. Joe. It's it's exactly that's exactly <laughs> Mary Jane's and they uh, Gwen is the drummer, and they sing a very cool song called "Face It Tiger." Face it, Tiger. Face it, Tiger. Oh, oh God. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. I, I I like it. Anyway, Peter is jealous of Gwen's powers, so he creates a serum trying to re- uh, replicate. Uh, his her powers and that turns him into the lizard, and he dies. And <laughs> so Peter Parker's dead. Uh, Gwen is holding his body. And this is the one that everybody was saying was so good. Dude, it's good. I enjoyed well, it. Who wrote this again? Uh, Jason Latour. Okay. So uh, J. Jonah Jameson gets on television in the newspaper and blames Spider Gwen. By the way, she's called Spider Woman throughout the book. Uh, not Spider Gwen. That's just what everybody's been referring mm. to. So he, he he blames Spider Woman for Peter Parker's death, death, and he uses the great power speech to, that uh, encourages everybody to find her and bring her to justice for killing Peter Parker. <laughs> Stacy, don't laugh. It's not bad. Anyway, uh, her father, George Stacy, is on the hunt for who who killed Peter Parker, and he. Uh, uh, Matt Murdock is Wilson Fisk's attorney, and he and he hopes to rise in power and hi- so he hires a steroid version of Craven. Craven's like drugged out; he, he looks nothing like Craven really. And he wants to take out Spider Gwen and get Stacy off the streets and away from. <laughs> so stop! Like, <laughs> uh, anyway, Roxanne. No, face a tiger, face a tiger. So uh, Spider-Gwen and uh, Craven have a fight, and she pounds on him, uh, similar to the way she uh, bangs the drum. You know, I, and, and it's a nice little moment for Spider-Gwen where uh, she's up against an opponent that uh, is a lot more powerful, but she uh, ends up beating him. And George Stacy then finds Spider-Gwen and has a gun up to her, and Gwen takes off her mask and reveals her identity to her dad, and dad lets her go and uh, 
go fight crime, etc. And then the perfect setup for an ongoing. And you see Spider-Man, oh, what is it? Uh, the Captain Britain Spider-Man watching from the shadows, like saying she'll do or something like that. So that was, you didn't see Moreland hop through a portal at the end of this one. Uh, the pros of this issue, great art, uh, beautiful costume design of the Spider-Gwen costume. It's a great, great look. I really enjoy it. And this is more the Emma Stone Gwen Stacy than the regular Gwen Stacy, so that's a pro in my opinion. <laughs> uh, cons, I didn't care for Craven's design and Peter Parker's portrayal. Wait a minute. Uh, Hang on a minute. i got to ask this. Yeah. How is this more like the Emma Stone Gwen Stacy? Uh, it's it's more of a power. Well, as we've often said, uh, Gwen Stacy in the regular Spider books was just kind of a bitch, wasn't she? Yeah, but the movie, I mean, the Emma Stone Gwen Stacy was into science and wasn't a drummer. And the, well, and the fact that this is a Gwen Stacy that you could really really like. She's she's hip. She's cool. Uh, she's more likable. She isn't sleeping with goblins. She's not uh, crazy. As opposed to the book, this is just a, 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 a. This book, I think, exists and the ongoing exists because of the love of the Gwen, the Emma Stone Gwen Stacy, more than the 1970s Gwen. There's Stacy. There's so much romanticism around Gwen Stacy, yeah. That uh, that never existed, right? You know what I mean? I know. Uh, cons: uh, Peter's portrayal uh, for an alternate story. I mean this. I, I just like the setup of this. I, I it, it worked for me. Well, it, it's going to work for you in a monthly now because you de- because you demanded it. I demanded it. I gave this one an A minus. I enjoyed it a lot. I know you chuckled, but uh, <laughs> was, uh, I I like all this, with the exception of noir, which I actually did kind of think was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, all this stuff, all, all the Edge of Spider Verse stuff that I that I looked through at the store, I was like, no. God no no no. Now now we're about to go off the rails uh, with the miniseries. Well, we're now. about to. The, we're about to. Those first two issues were great. Now let's get into issue three, four, and five. Uh, issue Edge of Spider Verse number three, written by written and art by David Weaver. This one does not have a Peter Parker. This one has a kid named Aaron Aikman. And he's 27 years old. Was this old. the one where he's like, like watching the girl across the street? Was this that? Is this that one? No, that would be issue four. This is I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a molecular biologist, and he researches spider venom. And he's been experimenting on himself uh, over several years, and he gave himself spider powers. He also built a suit similar to Iron Man, but in the, in the style of Spider-Man. He's also in love with another person that has a really hard name to say, kind of like Aaron Aikman. Uh, but uh, he's in love with Dr. Kerry Akagami, which just flows off the tongue, who happens to be his, which, which happens to be his boss, and she has dedicated her life to finding a cure for her daughter's vegetative state. And uh, so he works there, and Spider-Man fights a villain, another really really hard name to say, Namura, N A A M U R A H, Namura. And uh, who kidnaps people in their sleep. And it kind of reminds me of Nightmare or Freddy Krueger or something like that. 
So, come to find out, Spider-Man's girlfriend, which is Cory Ikegama, has been trying. They got in a fight, and she ran off, and and uh, eventually comes back to his apartment several months later, and and he realizes that she escaped trying to find a cure for her daughter, uh, and she eventually did. She's been uh, secretly helping kidnap victims and a whole mechanical army has overrunning New York with all these mechanical devices that she helped to wake her daughter up briefly. And several of these villains say that the corridor between worlds uh, of death is coming for the spider. Okay. Man, this one really is gets complicated. So Spidey then uh, fights several of these Namuras, which are just overrun the city. And Spidey is warned about this hallway, about this corridor. So you see Mr. Aaron Aikman in his spider suit running down a hallway. And who opens on the other end of the door? Who do you think is on the other side of the door, George? I don't know. Moreland. Moreland's on the other side of the door. Already? Already, yeah. And then Aaron Aikman dies. <laughs> All right. All off panel, you don't actually see the body, but you you presume that he's dead. Uh, pros, this one had some outstanding art. Uh, I mean, it, it, the the he's this guy is more of an artist than he is a storyteller, but it was very detailed, beautiful looking art. I really enjoyed it. He also did something in the book I thought was very creative. You remember the season one or series one Marvel Universe cards from Fleer back in the early 90s? Yes, I think I, I, if I recall correctly, I had a complete set of them. Yeah, so did I. He used the template of that, like the outline where it has a picture and on the back it had a brief description and a little known fact, a little text at the bottom. He, he did that for several of the villains in... Um, this world. And I just thought that was a very creative thing to do. When we're like, oh, he's fighting this villain. And then on the same page, you ha- see an image of a Marvel Fleer card from the 90s, like describing who he's fighting. Mm. So that, that was a very, very good uh, detail. And it was a continuity thing for us guys who remember those cards. Cons of this issue uh, way, way too busy. Uh, the, you, you obviously jump into a world. In a world uh, that's been going on for a long time, and and um, I really didn't understand the Namura, how he jumped from uh, people to people, and how he entered the daughter. It, it was just a little bit too confusing for me. I also didn't like that it wasn't a Peter Parker. There's not a Peter Parker in this this universe. It's an Aaron Aikman. Um, there's not much that ties to Spider-Man, with the exception of the suit. I mean, this is a totally different world. Nothing does even relate to Peter Parker. This could have been anybody. He just had a Spider-Man suit. It was very anime-ish, and there really wasn't that much time to get into the story to understand these folks before the main character is dead. So I'm going to give this one a C. Uh, It's not the best. I like the first two a lot more. Edge of the Spider-Verse number four. Another what-if story written by Clay Chapman on writing and art by Elia Bonita. Wait a minute now. Are these what-ifs or are these – I thought these were supposed to be just alternate universe. These are alternate universe. I just consider them – they read like what-if stories, you know, like what if Spider-Man died and – Well, technically every issue of what-if is, a, is a, its own – Its own universe, its own exactly. Universe. Because the what-if number one, Fantastic Four – 
uh, had Spider-Man on the team, he died. Mm-hmm. So this is just more what-ifs, what, uh, the way I read them. Uh, this one, number four, starts with Patton Parnell as our antagonist Peter Parker character. Uh, it starts with him burning ants. <laughs> Because you know he's bad if he starts to burn some ants. You know any kid that does that. Didn't, and then the first Toy Story, the the evil kid next door burn ants or something like that. Uh, he's burning something, yeah, with a magnifying. glass. He's burning something, yeah, with a magnifying glass. Exactly. That's what Mr. Patton Parnell is doing. And when he's done burning the ants, he goes upstairs and he gets up his binoculars and he peeps. He's a peeping tom. He looks in on Mary Jane changing clothes. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I was flipping through this yeah. one. Yeah. And he lives with his abusive uncle, not Uncle Ben, his Uncle Ted. Uh, so uh, Peter and Mary Jane, they go to school the next day, and they go to the science lab, and Peter gets bit by a spider. And he uh, feels pretty bad as he comes home, and he tells his Uncle Ted, Hey, you know, Uncle Ted, I'm not feeling good. So uh, Uncle Ted says, I know what will make you feel better. He gets his belt out and starts whooping up on the boy. Starts beating the hell out of him, and Mary Jane hears it next door and starts crying. So Patton, uh, Mr. Patton then takes uh, on more traits of a spider. Uh, you know, in, in, in the 616 universe, Peter Parker climbed walls. Uh, he made web shooters. He had spider sense. In this universe, he likes to uh, eat mice. <laughs> okay. He likes to eat cats. He likes to web up cats. Uh, he, he becomes an evil spider. So, Uncle Ted, what do you think is going to happen to Uncle Ted? Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Ted then comes home to see all sorts of wildlife webbed up in his house. And Patton is hanging upside down. He's like, welcome home, Uncle Ted. And so Patton lunges at him venom style. He's got teeth. He's got a big, long venom-looking tongue. And he uses the line. What would If, if, if this person likes to eat things and uh, is an evil version of Spider-Man, how would you – Rewrite with great power comes great responsibility. What line would you use, George? Uh, with as, great as he's, with great hunger comes great rib cage. There you go. Well, as he lunges to eat Uncle Ted, he uses the line with great power comes great appetite. Uh huh. There you go. He then makes a move on Mary Jane. Uh, he has a little bit more confidence that he's becoming more spider-like. And uh, he lunges and bites her on the neck. And she runs away from him. She's got a big gash in her neck. And she runs away and in, up into his room, which is the wrong way to run out of the house. So he ru- she runs in and she says, Uncle Ted webbed to his bed. And he's evidently draining Uncle Ted like a spider does, which is really gross. And there's like webbed cats and, and wildlife all throughout his bed. And then inside uh, Patton Parnell's bedroom, a portal opens, and Moreland shows up. And he says, I have been smelling you for quite a while. And uh, Moreland, uh, Mary Jane escapes, and Moreland kills Patton Parnell. Poor Uncle Ted still webbed to the bed, by the way. <laughs> mm. And a couple days go by, Mary Jane's like, oh, this was just an all a dream. This is all a dream. And then she notices out of her neck where the bit bite happened, a big spider comes out. And then thousands of spiders come out of her neck. And then roll credits. Uh, This pro, I guess it's well written. It's a horror flip on Spider-Man. I understood what was going on. It's it's nice. It was done in one issue. It's like a a Tales from the Crypt meets Spider-Man, or etc. Con, 
I'm not particularly a fan of dark, brooding Spider-Man. I'm more of the – I like the sense of humor. I like the intelligence. I like the heroics. I'm not really into gross and dark Spider-Man. So C-plus out of me. I mean it wasn't horrible. It, I understood it more than the previous issues. So show better than uh, Ultimate uh, – All the Ultimates. Ultimate, I understood Ultimate, Ultimate, Ultimate Ultimates? What are they? All, it was anything but Ultimate, yes. All right. We're going to wrap up uh, issue number five of Edge of Spider-Verse written by Gerald Way. Art by Jake Wyatt. The plots of this alternate Spider-Man, Aunt, ben, Aunt May and Uncle Ben, they run a computer program called SP backslash backslash DR. Okay? Oh, that okay. kind of looks like Spider, but it's not. SP backslash backslash DR. Their latest test subject that works in a giant Iron Man-looking spider suit died. So he, the guy that died, uh, had a daughter named Penny Parker. P N I, Parker. So Aunt May and Uncle Ben adopt Penny Parker, and uh, they say, you know what? You're the next test subject in our SP backslash backslash DR program. Because of your genetics, you will work perfectly. And evidently, in order to get in this big mechanical Iron Man-looking Spider-Man suit, you have to wear a special spider. And this special spider transfers powers or whatever to you. And it reminds me a lot of – did you watch Deep Space Nine? Uh, yeah. You know, you know Dax, the trill, yeah. the trill yeah. insider? Basically, that's what I envision this is like. The, the spider is passed from generation to generation, and uh, it, it is passed from genetic code to genetic code. So the spider is now with Penny Parker. Uh, let's see. Then, then Penny teams up with Daredevil of this world, and they take on Mysterio. And evidently, Mysterio is a big fan of Penny Parker. I don't know why. Uh, he's a fan of the SP backslash backslash DR program. Very strange, very odd take on Mysterio. Uh, Daredevil evidently worked with Penny's father, and she, he says that, uh, do you think my parents would be proud of me? And Daredevil goes, yeah, I worked with your dad. He'd be really proud of you. And then, out of nowhere, Peter Porker shows up. <laughs> and also, Amazing Spider-Man. I think, is it Amazing Spider-Man 500 where the old man Spider-Man with the jacket is in, or is that 600? I think it's 500. I think it's 500, yeah. Because I think it's JMS. So, Amazing's 500 Spider-Man, the old man Spider-Man with the, uh, the overcoat and Peter Porker show up and say, you know what? Uh, you're one of us. You're a SP backslash backslash DR. <laughs> you're one of us. Uh, come on, let's, let's uh, team up. And she was like, okay. And then the book ends. Uh, pros, Peter Porker. Yeah. <laughs> When I, I, I waited all through that, I'm like, okay, there's a talking pig. Yeah, thank you. That's pro in my book. Uh, the con having to say SP backslash backslash DR. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I thought that was just dumb. Uh, the host spider and the concept. I just don't. I, I didn't even like when JMS gave the spider a motive. You know, the whole the whole uh, storyline of the totem spider, etc. I've never liked that. I haven't either. I, I just like that it's a random spider that bit Spider-Man. I don't like that it's a long line of spiders that he had a motive to bite. That was my apart. biggest problem with the JMS yeah. era. Aside well, from that, 
Exactly. Uh, grade D on that one. This was obviously the weakest issue of all of them. Just I didn't didn't care for it. That is Edge of the Spider-Verse five issues in a row. Take it away. All right, we'll do – well, we're continuing with the uh, – well, no, I guess uh, it's not continuing with the theme because there were some of this uh, Spider-Verse stuff that you liked. <clears throat> but continuing along the lines of stuff that's not good, <laughs> stuff that is the opposite of good. What do we got? We got three issues of New Warriors. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Strap in, folks. <laughs> uh, plow through this quick, man, like it's a snow – like it's a blizzard. Oh, I, these, I don't get into much on these. These suck. What does Kane do is all I care about. <laughs> oh, I don't get into much of these. Well, you know, if you're a Kane fan, yeah. the good news is New Warriors number nine is, is a yeah. Kane-centric issue. For the first time in this series – Hot damn. Kane takes front and center. That's the good news. Hot, hot damn. Yeah. The bad news is that <laughs> Kane and Justice fight a hundred foot basketball mascot bear. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I remember this one. Oh, hell. Yeah, apparently this <laughs> is a thing that happened during Scarlet Spider. I don't remember it, and, but man. And it made me happy then that I didn't read that title. Yeah. Kane and Justice fight a teddy bear. Yeah, go. He's not a teddy bear. He's a he's a mascot. He's a, a professional a mascot basketball bear. team mascot down in Houston. Well, let's just start at the top. So, Kane wants the New Warriors to teleport him to Mexico and their mountain, you know, their mountain yeah. ship base, whatever. Instead, Araceli talks them into taking him to Houston instead, which is not where he wanted to be. He wanted to stay away from Houston. So. We're nine issues in, and <laughs> Kane is now arguing with Justice that he never joined the team in the first place because you know Justice is telling him, "Well, you can't quit, you can't quit," and, and Kane's like, "I'm not quitting. I never joined." So Kane is kind of like the reader; he doesn't want to be here. Yes, <laughs> there, yes. There's a very meta element there. Kane does not want to be here either. Yeah. Um, so while they're arguing, suddenly they notice that the town or the part of the town they're in, uh, which is downtown Houston, is completely abandoned, which is weird for downtown Houston. Uh, and then out of nowhere, they get attacked by a hundred foot teddy bear mascot. You're right. Um, they manage to get away from the bear long enough so that Justice and, and Kane can talk about Kane's feelings on a rooftop. Uh, Kane then gets a pep talk from a cop, and this cop, I guess, he was a uh, regular in the Scarlet Spider series, I don't know, or, or he was a recurring character. But uh, anyway, this cop uh, tells, pulls Kane aside and says, hey, man, you were, you know, you were, you saved me and a lot of people in the city, including my husband. I was like, mm -hmm. yes, okay. So Kane and Justice uh, kicked the crap out of the teddy bear. And they tear the guy. Just so dumb. They tear the guy out from inside it. There was a guy at the center of it, and they tear him out. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the team, uh, Araceli, Sun Girl, uh, and everyone else, Speedball, uh, go to a nightclub. And Araceli uses her mental powers to force the Bowser to let them in because they're all underage. So review F. Easily an F. It's the easiest F I've ever given. 
And <laughs> you, you don't like fighting teddy bears. After huh? reading this, the exact line I wrote down was, Jesus, what the F did I just read? This book got approved to go to print. And well, the thing is, though, is I, this, this to me told me that at that that's the moment when they knew that they were canceled. <laughs> and so they were like, well, the wheels are off. This buzz. No point in steering now. Uh, this is I, – I, this was a head-scratcher for me. It, you, you understood what was going on, though. I, there's been some Ultimate books. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, you knew what was going on. You knew that yeah. in the Marvel Universe somebody was fighting a 100-foot teddy bear <laughs> in Houston. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Is there any pros of the No, book? God, no. There's not one guy that he's fighting a teddy bear. All right. <laughs> then, okay. then kids are using their powers to get into clubs underage. <laughs> the hell? What kind of crack are they smoking over there? <laughs> All right. So issue number 10. Yeah, so number 10. All right. Does it get better? The last one I should point out was written by Christopher Yost and uh, drawn by uh, Tana Ford. So New Warriors number 10, uh, again written by Chris Riost, uh, but this time also with Eric Burnham and drawn by Marcus Toe. You know, you know, it's weird. It's like at, at the end of a series, it's getting canceled. You know, a lot of times suddenly there's a new writer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like – Well, didn't this guy step up and help Yost out when he was ending Scarlet, I think? I don't know. Could Apparently this guy is brought in to just shut it down. <laughs> this guy is, is like the two bobs from Office Space. <laughs> you know, we we got the word. You got to shut this. Yeah. Turn the lights off when you're done. All what right. Is it that you would say you do here? <laughs> I have people skills anyway. That's funny. So we shift back to the main story. Kane is recovered from fighting the teddy bear. Right. Hopefully. Uh And the new warriors track down the high evolutionary, and the, it's so confusing. We have a high evolutionary. I hate that bastard. I don't, why do you hate him? Just because he's in New Warriors. <laughs> you hated him before this? I hated him. I, I, the, my first exposure to the character was where he he was in that spectacular Spider-Man annual with Gwen Stacy. And I was so confused by that book. And I've you never hated him the, because you couldn't figure out the story. I could not figure him out. I've never, so he has to face – he's actually a, and, quite an interesting character. And then after – I mean, that was part of the Evolutionary War and the annuals, no. and I didn't get to stand that at that all. That was not a good story. Well, exactly, and this isn't either. Okay. What, what's a good evolution, high evolutionary story? you got to go back to, like, the Avengers and Wondergore Mountain and, I mean, like, early old school, like, back when it was Stern and I think Perez. Okay. Or, no, it wasn't Stern and Perez. It was, um, yeah, it may have been Stern and Perez. Anyway, um... Go so ahead. the New Tell Warriors me. track down the High Evolutionary, who's also working with another guy called the Evolutionary, who, by the way, are in command of a whole bunch of people called Evolutionaries. Oh, oh man. What a nightmare. Yeah. Anyway, um, and they're all awaiting sign of the impending return of the Celestials, who they think the Celestials are going to, you know, they think the Celestials are going to show up and uh, judge mankind unfit to exist because of the way that they've muddled their genes, hmm. you know. So uh, with all these superpowers and whatnot, so Haichi uh, transforms into a dinosaur pig dog that breathes fire and takes. <laughs> I don't even. I don't remember which one's Haichi. He's, he's the inhuman guy with the giant horn in his head. Oh, turns into guy. confusing things and fights with fire. Ex 
Okay, yeah. He takes on the high evolutionary while uh, Speedball squares off against evolutionary. Uh, And Aricelli uses her powers to discover that the high evolutionary fears that the return of the central uh, of the celestials uh, means doom for the gene mudded humanity. What happened to the dog? Or we're we're getting there. Okay. So high evolutionary kicks the crap out of not Namorita. Who is Water Snake, and also they call her Feyre. Who who knows? And Kane. Uh, Silhouette then teleports Jake Waffles and Mr. Whiskers into the base, armed with Liefeld era de-evolution guns. I say Liefeld era because you know in the Liefeld era everybody had Just no like feet they've... and massive guns. <laughs> and these guns are Liefeld big. Yeah. Uh, but they're not really guns per se. Like you shoot people with them, and they de-evolve. Can you imagine if your pets could carry weapons? <laughs> <laughs> I, have I ever talked to you about why I don't own pets? What? No. Real quick, why? I'm a single guy. I'm not married. Yeah. Right. And uh, this is one of my biggest fears. And now that I'm mentioning it, it'll probably happen. But I'm always because I live alone and I don't always talk to people. I can go days and days and days without talking, you know, on the phone with anyone that I know. Yeah. And you know, I'm in my early 40s, and at this age, this is when people that you know can start to kick off. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I'm always, I'm always scared. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick off, and no one's gonna find me for weeks. You know, in here. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, <laughs> they'll just find me. I'll just be mummified after exploding all over my bed or whatever. <laughs> it's going to be gruesome. I mean, I, this is my this is my thing. Well, we are going off the rails here. This is, but this is why I don't have pets. Okay. Because if you're single and you have pets, and you die and and no one finds you, your pets are going to eat you. Oh. <laughs> and people, when I tell people this, you're kidding me. No, when I tell people this, they don't believe me. But I'm like, dude, look this up. I'm like, your 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 pets are going to eat. Now, here's the thing: the dog is going to feel bad about it. The dog may only eat like a finger or something and hope and hope that you wake up. But then he'll sit in the corner and be like, I can't believe I just ate my owner's finger. I really wish they'd wake up. I feel horrible. Cat's not going to care. Cat give a F. Cat's like, I'm sorry, you're dead, and that's all, Jack. I'm going to eat. Oh. He's going to eat all the soft parts of your face off. Oh. So this is why I don't have pets. If I was – it would be different if I was married – had kids, oh. I'd be Mr. Dog. I'd have a big yard and a dog. Kind of like I but damn. A single dude in an apartment, don't have pets. Because oh. wow, if you die, those pets will eat you. That was a hell of a tangent, but I understand. <laughs> All right. Wow. So there you go. I, ha- I I hated cats before. I like cats. <laughs> I don't like I've cats. Always, I've always had dogs and I'm cats. Dog you know, like when I, was, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I always had dogs and cats. I had many dogs and cats. But... I like get their, but you know, you, but you know, you 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 have food in your cupboards. They they go through that. You'd have to be dead for a while before they start eating you. How are they going to get to the food in the cupboards? The cats will find a way. Cat will, a cat will find a way. Yeah, but you know, no, I mean, I like cats. I mean, cats, cats and dogs are just two completely different things for obvious reasons, aside from the physical and the fact that they're two different species. Yeah. But a cats are cool. Cats are just like. Hey man, I'm gonna do whatever I want. You know, I'm just gonna be over here. You know, if he's lonely, he'll come and let you know. Hey, I, you know what? I might like to be rubbed. If not, don't jack with me. <laughs> a little how I, I'm like. I, I'm kind of like a cat. 
We're we're an hour twenty three. We just got into the cat conversation. Right. Let's let, let's roll, baby. Let's. Well, roll. It's your fault. For I know. What, you, what if our pets had weapons? Uh, I guess it is. I guess it is. That was a hell of a story. All right. So uh, <laughs> so Jake Waffles and Mister Whiskers uh, work together work, work yeah. together in harmony, as uh, Jake Waffles points out. Which which is you know of course the the joke that cats and dogs are are living together and getting along. Uh, to de-evolve the evolutionaries, the the evolutionary minions that that uh, are at the command of the evolutionary and the high evolutionary. And when you shoot them with the evolutionary gun, they don't die. They just de-evolve back to the apes that they were 25 million years ago before they were modified by the Eternals. And you're like, sure they were. Yeah, yeah that'll do it. Uh, the high evolutionary, however, murders Mr. Whiskers. No, no, and Jake Waffles freaks out, and Justice comes and KOs the High Evolutionary. No. I mean, just knocks him out. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute now. Why does the fight go on this long if Justice can just knock him out? <laughs> Why did the fight go on this long when last time they fought, some girl just blew a hole through him? Why are they a team? Why are they? St- yeah. Why? Do they- <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Kane de-evolves the evolutionary from behind a point blank with the gun and presumably kills him because he was so close to him and he shot him at the back of the head. Uh, before the team can regroup, the Eternals return to Earth, led by Zuras. Are you familiar with Eternals at all? A little. I know a little Cersei, uh, mainly due for, to her being in the Avengers. Okay. But uh, I, read, I read the John Romita, uh, Alan Moore mini. That's about it. Never read the Jack Kirby stuff. Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. Now, the Eternals are very interesting. And, in fact, it, you know, the, all the cosmic stuff is related to them as well. Because Thanos, Star Fox, they're also Eternals. They're just from a different branch of the Eternal line. There was a, a, an Eternal Civil War on Earth. And half the Eternals that lost the war left and went into space and eventually settled on Titan. On Saturn's moon of Titan, and you know, on down the, the these were the ancestors of uh, Star Fox and Thanos. Mm. Um, but yes, the Eternals were the prototypes, were the templates for the Greek gods. They lived on Earth, and and men started to worship them like gods. That's why their names, a lot of their names, resemble some of the Greek gods. Um, and Zeros is like Zeus; he's their leader. Now, a. F- one thing that we're going to point out here is that when the Eternals show up, or, or when they show up here in the story, at the end of the story and in the next issue, um, Icarus and Thena, who are the two two of the bigger Eternals, they are not there. Uh, they, and neither is Cersei. So you have three huge Eternals just not, not long for the ride. So anyway, with that in mind, we'll pick up New Warriors number 11. Oh, I, I need to give it a review. That one gets a, a C-. minus. Well, but what, did, did Kane do anything in the book? Well, he de-evolved the uh, evolutionary from behind with a gun right in the back of his head, presumably okay. killing him. Uh, aside okay. from that, he got his ass whooped by high evolutionary. Mm. So, okay. all right. So, New Warriors Eleven um, starts off with Makari, who which one's Makari? Makari's the one that runs really fast. That yeah. people that the ancient Greeks eventually adopted as Hermes. Okay. Grabs Justice and runs him out of uh, the High Evolutionary's uh, ship. 
uh, which is uh, which is somewhere over the Arctic Circle, and then takes him to a mountain, which we later find is Mount Everest, which means that Macari ran justice all the way from the Arctic Circle to China <laughs> or to the Himalayas. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, the Eternals eventually manage to overpower the New Warriors uh, in a fight that lasts pretty much the, you know, through the whole issue. Um, turns out Zuros is in on the high, evolution, on the high evolutionary plan, uh, but apparently the other Eternals aren't really hip to it, and they question what they're doing to the New Warriors, who are in essence, you know, they're like kids. Um, and in fact, Sungirl even tries to hammer home the hammer home the point and tries to warn the other Eternals, but Zuras silences uh, her with his uh, molecular powers. Um, most Eternals can have like molecular manipulation. It's pretty nasty stuff. They're pretty damn powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the High Evolutionary and Zuras then lock the Warriors up in a genocide machine, uh, <laughs> and uh, Water Snake. Slash not named Marita slash Feyre attacks from behind and wounds the High Evolutionary by stabbing him in the back. Uh, she tries to kill Zuras, but Zuras uses his powers and pretty much knocks her out in midair. Uh, Justice, you know, just when it looks the bleakest and the heroes think they're about to die, Justice wakes up on the side of Mount Everest. Looks like he's ready to kick butt, but then it's Justice and you know whatever. Um, <laughs> review a D. Wait, was there any cane? Uh, no, I mean, Kane kind of I – mean, they, they get overpowered by the by the Eternals pretty quick. Uh, in fact, Kane gets beaten on by about five of them. At one point, they put him on the ground and just all take turns kicking his ass. So he fought a te- – look, the, sum up your three issues. He fought a teddy he fought a bear. a teddy bear with another guy, he, with Josh's. Yeah, he, he shot a guy at the evolutionary. After getting his ass whooped by high evolutionary. Okay. And then this next one, he gets his ass whooped again. Yes. Huh? Poor bastard. Imagine in the X-Men, if Wolverine only got to kick butt once a year. <laughs> that would be Because Kane man. is the Wolverine of this team. He is. So imagine that. Imagine yeah. – and, and, you know, it's it's hard. This has got to be frustrating for Kane, for Kane fans, which there are some. Yeah, I'm one. And, and also you have to scratch your head and wonder, how are they trying to get more Kane fans out of this? I don't know, dude. Because – all he's done is get his ass whooped except against basically a giant teddy bear. Yeah. Man. Great for this oh, one. Oh, no. This gets, this gets a D. And you have a lot of Eternals acting out of character, but I think it's because they're being manipulated by Zuros. But Zuros himself is kind of working out of character. So. I've got one more, and then we're going to go through all the grades real quick to wrap well, up. Well, we're not done. Oh, you get one more? We got Superior Foes. Oh, you got Superior Foes, and I've got uh, Axis Hobgoblin. Yep. You want to go next, or you want me to go next? Oh, I can go next. Okay, you wrap up. Uh, and this is another one, by the way, that I had already uh, put up on. <coughs> I had already reviewed on the on the web page, or uh, yeah, the the main page. So I'm just gonna yep. go back over it if I can get the web pages to load. Don't tell me that. I paid good money for that. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and go, Brad? <laughs> is it not loading? No way. Hang, hang, hang on, it's loading. It's just real slow for me right now. No, here it is. Okay. Okay. Cool. So uh, issue sixteen. This is the the penultimate, meaning the 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 second to yeah, last. Second to last. Uh, in fact, the last one comes out next Wednesday, I believe. 
Sad day. It is a sad day. Uh, so, uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number 16, uh, written by Nick Spencer with art by Steve Lieber and Rich Ellis. Um, so we're coming to the end, and here we have an all-out war, basically all-out brawl for control of the Magia. The end is nigh, Brad. The end is nigh, <laughs> true believers. Yeah. Just one more book left. After a curveball start with a uh, Punisher cameo that comes, you know, that comes kind of out of nowhere. Fred comes under fire literally when he steps off at his girlfriend's apartment to smooth things over after basically using her as a human shield. Uh, a few issues back, that goes about as well as you'd expect. She meets him with like a like a pump shotgun, you know. And what's her hang up anyway? It's not like he kind of tried to use her as a human shield, except for the fact that he, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> anyway, uh, probation officer Abner Mach 7 Jenkins tries to get <laughs> some support on dealing with Fred and his gang from uh, Tony Stark. Sadly, all Tony Stark has to offer Abner is a half-assed pep talk and a quick hang-up. Uh, the former uh, Beetle heads out to find Fred, leading to another hilarious slapstick moment with the wings of his armor. There's two issues now where they've used those wings to, I mean, just maximum comic effect. <laughs> and show you how the impracticality of his of his costume. Oh, it's hysterical. I love, I just love these two guys. <laughs> Across town, Fred's gang, the superior several, uh, get ready to meet with the Magia representative to gain control over the crime family using Silvermane's head. As an added genius detail to their plan, they've disguised Silvermane's head as Paul Stanley of Kiss fame as his <laughs> star child persona. And, you know, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber have deep comedy pockets, Brad, and star, yeah. the star child Silvermane really proved that. I saw that. I howled. I died laughing. <laughs> I really did. I just, I mean, I, I could, it was so, so out of, out of nowhere and just awesome. So back in the graveyard where uh, they left Shocker to die buried alive, um, it, he's quickly, Shocker's quickly losing hope and accepting that he's going to die. You know he's gonna he's gonna be die while he after being buried alive in the coffin. But what, just when the night seems darkest, you know, he gets sprung by his movie watching buddy Hydro Man. Yes, Hydro Man, the same asshat <laughs> who double crossed Herman to the Magia in the first place. And he went down the toilet. Yes, Shocker quickly repays Hydro Man's thoughtfulness and kindness with an energy blast to the face. Then moves on to re- to repay his former teammates as well. So Shocker, I think, is still going to, to hopefully do something pretty impressive here at the end. Uh, as the Magia meeting starts, everyone's double cross comes into play at the same time. Tombstone, uh, who was tipped off by Janus, the, the new Beetle, arrives on the scene, followed by Madam Mask, who, of course, was tipped off by Speed Demon, <coughs> and Mr. Negative, who was tipped off by Overdrive. Tensions run pretty high between the Sinister Several and the Magia and all the interested parties. Which also brought small armies along with them, you know, like all sorts of goons and enforcers. But then Silvermane kicks things off by yelling fire in a crowded theater. He yells, he screams out, look out, he's got a gun. Or something like, or look out, he's going to shoot. And all hell breaks loose. And then everyone's fighting everybody. Mm-hmm. But what of our hero, Brad? What of Fred Myers? Right. At first, Fred leads us to believe that the owl and the chameleon caught up with him and that they are taking their revenge out on Fred's treacherous backside. But in truth, Brad, Fred reveals that what he stole from the chameleon's safe several issues ago was, in fact, an appearance-altering serum. And it turns out that's what that 
Chameleon's been using recently to shapeshift or to change his, his appearance. So this is what it turns out Fred was after all along. And why? Why? What is his master plan? Why did he want this? Because he wanted to pitch in a professional baseball game again. And so that's what he does. <laughs> he, he uses the nice. He locks the pitcher up in his trunk in the trunk of his car, assumes his identity, and goes out to pitch. Mm-hmm. I really love the way that Steve Lieber can show us sprawling scenes of carnage while moving the story along at the same pace. Yeah, I, He really does a good job with those massive brawls. Uh, it almost seems like the story goes from slow motion you know, when he does it, and I've always loved those moments so much in this book. Uh, again, disguising Silvermane as Paul Stanley, just ha- it was hysterical. I had me dying, <laughs> laughing. I was just in stitches. As, of course, did Abner's wing gags. They never get old. Um I mean, you know, my apartment's got thin walls, and I'm pretty sure my neighbors thought I was crazy. <laughs> or your cat was eating you. Yeah. Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber thought, what would really tie this all together? What, what could make this all really come alive? Screw it. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to paint Silverman up like Star Child. <laughs> so where are the chips going to fall next month, Brad? There are still things to resolve, uh, like who wins for control of the Machia? Do they all beat one another down to the point that Mach 7 arrives at the dock and takes credit for apprehending all of them? Um, does Shocker catch up with Fred? Even more important, does the Punisher's cameo in this book at the beginning of the issue spell bad news for somebody? You know, uh, We'll all know next Wednesday or on – Tune in next time. <laughs> This book gets an A+. It's going to be sad to see this title go. It really is. It is. All right. I've got one last one to wrap the episode. It's a good one. Axis Hobgoblin. It's a miniseries. It's coming out of the awful storyline called Axis. Not caring for that much. Written by uh, Kevin Shinnick and art by Javier Rodriguez. Kevin Shinnick did uh, Superior Team-Up. He did. He did. He did. Didn't he write that uh, Osborne Ox team up in um, where they first met? Did he write? Yeah, because he wrote. I think he did. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I liked. I like him as a writer, and he does really good with this one. Basically, uh, Roderick Kinsley, season ad. Robert who? Uh, Roderick. I'm sorry. Did I say Roger. You said Robert Kinsley. Kinsley. <laughs> Roderick Kingsley, uh, season ad that suggests that he reinvents himself. So he flips his idea of renting out villain names and creating heroes, and he's like, you know what? Why don't I make some money off of this? Because people really don't want to be villains. Everybody wants to be the hero. So he says, that's that's really a legitimate business plan, and I'm going to be incredibly rich off of it. And sure enough, within a month, he becomes the Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker of the Marvel Universe. (laughs) He... Uh, sells out to packed houses. He writes a book called Hobnobbin, and it tells you how you can become a hero. And the what cracked me up, the foreword of the book is written by Gene Simmons. Oh, God. <laughs> I think that is awesome. Uh, anyway, Phil Urich, uh, who is... Uh, was the Green Goblin. Uh, he doesn't like the change uh, in uh, Roderick. And he says he's unrecognizable as a goblin. He thinks he needs to collect income. If he's going to be a goblin, he needs to pay a percentage to the Goblin King. So uh, that's what uh, is the antagonist against Roderick's plan. 
Anyway, there's hobgoblins all all across the town doing good. They uh, have a scene where uh, he's lifting up a car a la Action Comics number one. Superman, etc. So the Hobgoblin is now a, a uh, motivational speaker and also a uh, incredibly rich, rich motivational speaker. And Lily Hollister, who I forget what happened to her, but evidently she she went into a lake or into the into the water, and evidently people thought she was dead, but she's not. She comes out of the water and has amnesia. <laughs> and, and and goes to Roderick Kingsley's uh, underground turn yourself into a hero seminar and she says i want to reinvent myself uh prose out of the book outstanding characterization of roddy i love i just loved how they flipped it this ver- this seems so plausible that this guy who's out for money he finds an idea and he flips it how he can become rich and and uh, famous, etc. The only con out of this book, uh, the 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 Goblin King and the Lily Hollister thing. There's a scene where the Goblin King is talking about how everyone knows that everybody thinks that Lily's dead, but I know that she survived, and I know that she's wants revenge, etc. That was just a little confusing to me. I don't not sure how that's going to work. Hopefully, in issue two, it'll work itself out. A minus out of me. The, the minus is from the confusing goblin and, and Lily parts. But I love how Roderick is uh, a motivational speaker. So, so it sounds like they're trying to give Hobgoblin the superior foes treatment. It, it's working great, too. And so if you like superior foes, you will definitely. Did you pick this one up by no, chance? Hell or? no. I mean, and, and you know me. I, oh, hell no. I love Hobgoblin. Yeah. Hobgoblin is one of my favorite all time villains. I did not pick this up, and I won't be. Okay. Uh, I, Even with my A out of no, it. <laughs> and I know a lot of people are liking it right now. I, I yeah. really hate the feel you're a goblin. I mean, I hate yeah. it on a visceral level. Well, that's the antagonist. I've never liked Lily Hollister. Okay. Um, so there's not a lot. And you're telling me that one of my favorite all-time villains now is turned into Tony Robbins. He is. He's a motivational. Yeah, I just, it's not for me. Okay. I'm glad you're enjoying it, though. I liked it a lot. Let's go over my let's go over my grades. Let's go over your grades. If you've been listening to this show for okay, now an hour, see you're saying that, and I just erased all my stuff as we went through it. Oh no, okay. <laughs> I can't tell you what I what I gave great. Well, you can you can guess. <laughs> I know I gave it. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Okay, uh, uh, Edge of the Spider Verse number one, I give it a B. Edge of the Spider Verse number two, I give it an A minus. Edge of the Spider Verse number three, I give it a C. Edge of the Spider-Verse number four, I give it a C+. Edge of the Spider-Verse number five, I give it a D. All New Ultimates number eight, D-. All New Ultimates number nine, D. Miles Morales number five, I give it an A-. Miles Morales number six, I give it an A. And uh, Axis Hobgoblin number one, I give it an A-. Take it away, George. Uh, New Warriors number nine, got a big F. The easiest F I've ever given, and I've read and I've read brand new day stuff. Um, new Warriors number ten. Oh God, got a. I think I think C? it got a. I think it got a C or D. I don't remember. Yeah. I wish I hadn't erased this stuff. It's just easier for me to keep up with as we go through it. Uh, and then number eleven, New Warriors number eleven got. Uh, I think the same thing, either a C or a D. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man 2099, number four, got an A+. Spider-Man 2099, number five, got a B-. It suffers from the Spider-Verse crossover. 
Guardians of the Galaxy number 19 and 20, which have nothing to do with Spider-Man or Venom. <laughs> Um, or anything spider at all. Uh, both got bees and Guardians of the Galaxy number 21 got a, I believe a C, I think a C. And Superior Foes Spider-Man, uh, or Superior Foes Spider-Man number 16 rather, uh, got a, uh, got an A+. Cool. 19 books in under two hours. Yeah. That's that's a lot of damn reviewing. Uh, and I'm worn out. Me too, dude. <laughs> I was tired when we started. I know, but man, I'm gonna, we got through it. We're like in this, and I, I swear I'll be asleep in five minutes. <laughs> but don't get a cat. <laughs> right, because if I fade away in the middle of the night, if if, if, I, if I if if somewhere in the night the gambler, he breaks even. And somewhere in the darkness, the gambler, he broke even. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Can't have a know cat because the cat will eat me. <laughs> you just twerked in. Kenny Rogers. Hell yeah, I did. End of this ending. <laughs> no one to hold him, son. No one to walk away. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to walk away. Uh, screw it. We're done. I'm going to do the gambler closing thing. You should go into the gambler. We're closing it with the gambler. Uh, we're walking away, folks. Good night. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done, you got to know when to hold up. Know when to hold up. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting 